it's an amazing house. It's overlooking uh, the Arkansas River where there's rapids and you see all the rafts going by from your deck and you can actually make your way down to the river and swim in it. And I did it every single day. It was kind of cold. It wasn't that bad. Trevor, my brother-in-law said that it's snow melt. Uh, and so if you go in in like March or April, it's absolutely freezing. But in July, it's just, you know, it's cool, refreshing, kind of cold, but not too bad. Uh, I kind of want to go in in like March or April, do the, the real cold plunge. I don't know if I could do Real man would do it, no doubt. But I wonder it'd be like when the water's like 40 something degrees, like how tolerable it would be. Anyway, I'm out here in Colorado. It is nice to be back in the States. There's a lot of nice things about Portugal, but the U.S. does a lot of things much better than Portugal. Just the average burger you get, the average restaurant, the service, the way things work, um, the supermarkets, people are, well, I can speak to them in my native language. It's a real trip to like ask for help from somebody at a restaurant or in a store and just not have to like conjure up my limited knowledge of a second language and just talk. It's, it's like a, it's a miracle to actually understand you. So it's nice. And Colorado is really nice. Normally we spend like a month in LA and I uh, wisely told Heather, let's go to Colorado for two weeks, stay with your sister. And then we'll only do two weeks in LA. And then it works out because the Rotowire Vegas trip is right when we're going from Colorado to LA. And that's perfect, right? Because Vegas is in between the two. I'm just going to Family's going to go on to LA tomorrow. And on Sunday, I'm going to fly to Vegas, hang out with those guys for a couple of days, which I'm looking forward to, and then fly out Tuesday back to LA. And then we're going to Mexico City on the way out from LA. So we got a bunch of stuff going on. Um, and I probably won't be doing as many of these during the travels, but I'll probably do another one in LA because it's super boring in LA. One good thing about LA is the Chinese food. And there's actually a Szechuan impression that opened up in Century City, which delivers to Heather's mom's house where we're staying. So I will be ordering in some very good Chinese. I'll be getting Lotus of Siam in Vegas, which I'm looking forward to. My guy says Lowski is going to come along. Uh, I don't know if we're going to recruit anyone else, but best Thai food that I've ever had. Maybe the best Thai food in the United States, Lotus of Siam in Vegas. So going there. What else did I have just on just administrative stuff? Oh, okay. So in the last couple of weeks, I launched a a pay substack, realmansports.substack.com. And it's pay, but anyone who's contributed at all to realmanwood.com or chrysalis.com, I will give you some free time because you don't have to pay twice. Some of you did pay twice. I appreciate that, but uh, you don't have to. I'll give you free time. And if you've already paid, if you didn't know that you were getting free time, I can refund you or just give you more time. So realmansports.substack.com. I wanted to do it on chrysalis.com, but the mail list and the payment process is a little better on Substack right now. So I just kind of was like, I just want to get started. I already put up the snarky 150. There's a free preview of it. And then I put the whole thing behind the paywall. Again, if you've already contributed to this, let me know and uh, happy to uh, comp you some time. I don't think this is going to be like Rotowire. If you want like a, a subscription that's going to help you manage your teams, set waiver wires, set lineups, see who's hurt, go to rotowire.com and, and subscribe to them. I don't get any money from that. Although I'm not ruling it. I would do an affiliate deal with Rotowire because I know it's legitimate, but I, as of now, haven't talked to them about that. So I'm just saying this, I, I still, the site's still really good. Rotowire.com. If you want like a comprehensive information source to run your teams, definitely do that. But what I'm going to do is going to be different. I'm going to, what I'm going to do is this one good thing about Vegas is we're staying in the Circa and there's a sports book 
there that has the Circa Survivor Contest and its own sort of super contest, its own version. And I'm going to sign up for both of those. And on the podcast, and I may do a separate sports cast, sports podcast. I may just integrate it into this. I'm not really sure. But either way, I'm going to talk about my entries, what picks I'm making, what I'm doing in Survivor. Hopefully, I last is longer, longer than than we did last year in Survivor. So I'm just going to have that as content, just talking about the games for the contest I'm doing. And of course, the NFFC stuff, but I'm not going to, I don't think, never going to say never. I don't think I'm going to write a Survivor column or a Beating the Book column. I think I'm just going to talk about the picks I'm making. And then I'm just going to rant about stuff about the NFL. And there's always lots to rant about with the NFL. So basically this is, I'm not trying to say, hey, buy this and you'll win your league or you'll win money because that's just not true. It would be for entertainment and to connect with the thought process I have. And that's basically it. That's it. You know, you're not going to get rich, get laid, lose weight. You're not, you're not going to get anything out of this. So it's for entertainment and perhaps you'll get some insight or find out for yourself what you think by bouncing your ideas off of mine. But that's, that's about it. So that's happening. I've already launched that and we'll see, we'll see if uh, a lot of people subscribe or not. I don't know. You know, it's just an experiment. And uh, you know, if you, if you can't, after selling your company, and living in Portugal, do the thing you want, then you know, if you can't do it now, then when, right? This is it. This is the time for the experiment. We'll see if it works. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. All right, let's talk about some other stuff. Crazy stuff in markets. The euro and the dollar are basically even. It's like 101 now. I think it got below one for a split second. And for me in Portugal, on the surface, that's really good, right? Because I was paying like 120 per you know, dollar 20 per euro. And if you're trying to re refurbish a house and it costs 200,000 euro, 200, euros, that's $240,000. But now that it's even, it's $200,000 and your rent and your food and everything is just 20% cheaper. So this is a huge, huge win for us. But it's not only that because the problem is like everything in the world is calibrated to a certain baseline. And the euro was moving between like 110 and 125 for the last five years. It was like 150, like 15 years ago. But now that it's at one, that means the euro just has less purchasing power. And the euro's in trouble because their rates are even lower than the dollar rates. They're really kind of in a pickle. They they raise rates at all, their economy's going to crash. And yet they're losing purchasing power because of their low rates. And the problem is like, yeah, great. Like it's cheap for us, but you don't want like everybody else to not be able to afford things. And you don't want to have a society that just can't afford fuel and food and, and basics. So um, it's a bit precarious when things get so far out of equilibrium so quickly. That's just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, will the euro split up, you know, the whole energy crisis with the Ukraine Russia thing. And they say, you know, they're not going to buy fuel from Russia. And that's a big problem. The EU is in, in more trouble than the U.S. The U.S. is stronger. And in the, the short term, first order effect is great. Look, everything's cheaper for us. But the second order effect, who knows? You know, you don't want your neighbors to be suffering and the place that you live in to be uh, in big trouble. As I said, I was doing those videos, which I stopped because it was the same thing every time. Everything, at least as of July 1st, when I left Portugal, was seemed normal. The coffee shops were open. The supermarkets were reasonably stocked. Um, there was no obvious shortages or panics, but the euro has really moved down. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, the other thing is, and I may have talked about this before, but a lot of people are saying, you know, Bitcoin was supposed to be an inflation hedge. Inflation happened 9% the other day. And Bitcoin's gone down to 20 odd thousand dollars. You know, what the hell? Like I was supposed to, that was supposed to go up when there was inflation. But I thought about this and I actually think like it's a hyperinflation hedge. It's not an inflation hedge, a regular inflation hedge, because uh, when there's regular inflation, the Fed is 
push to raise rates to slow down inflation. So when they raise rates, money becomes more expensive. People need dollars. Things start crashing. They sell their most liquid assets, Bitcoin, especially the, the people with no conviction, which is a lot. You know, all the investment banks and the big players, a lot of the big players holding Bitcoin don't have conviction. It's just an asset to trade or hedge. They need dollars. They sell. It goes down. So regular inflation, it is not a hedge. It's the opposite because regular inflation, first order effect. Hey, look, let's uh, let's get into Bitcoin because the, the money is getting more plentiful. But actually, the second order effect is let's raise rates to make money you know, more expensive and Bitcoin and stocks crash. Um, I think if you got hyperinflation, that would be a different story because it would be beyond the Fed's control. And then it would be what's the asset that doesn't inflate? And then it would be a big hedge. But in regular inflation, second order effects are trumping the first order effect. And Bitcoin is not a hedge, as you can see for yourself. The other thing is there's been a bunch of bankruptcies, three arrows and uh, Celsius looks like it may be headed for that in these crypto or Bitcoin yield products. And what these were is people would put their Bitcoin in these, I don't know if they're exchanges, but in these services, and they would get interest in dollars on their Bitcoin. But Bitcoin does not have yield, right? You buy Bitcoin, it's not like a bond, it's just Bitcoin. So to get yield, they have to do stuff with your Bitcoin, lend it out, trade it. I don't know what the hell they were doing, but they have to play around with it to get yield uh, to pay their depositors. And of course, that entails risk. And they took on too much risk. And when the price crashed, they got wiped out. And so did some of their depositors who couldn't even withdraw their funds. So bottom line is Bitcoin has no yield. If it's getting yield, that means you're taking on some other kind of risk that is kind of opaque. So should Bitcoin have a yield? Why does it have no yield? It seems risky and yet it has no yield. Why is this a good investment, a good asset? Well, I was thinking about it. You know, Bitcoin has zero yield, but zero is the price you get when you don't have third-party risk, right? Like if you buy bonds and you get, you know, 2% interest on the, I don't know, 10-year bond or whatever it is, you're risking that the U.S. is going to default. Um, people think, oh, I don't think the U.S. is going to default, dude. And if they did, you'd have bigger problems than not getting your money out. But they can default through inflation, right? So if they inflate dollar, hyperinflated, and the dollar is, you know, inflating 100% a year, your bond uh, is basically worthless. You are uh, losing money on the underlying principle and the interest you're getting is so meager compared to how much purchasing power your bond is losing. And so the bond, not only is it does it have third-party risk, but it has inflation risk, which is part of the third-party risk in a way. But here's a way of looking at it. The bond only yields in the inflating currency. So if the bond is yielding, you know, it's a, you, know you borrow by US Treasury and you get 2% and inflation's 8%, you're at minus 6%. The yield you're getting is in dollars, and the dollar is the thing that is capable of inflating or hyperinflating. Whereas Bitcoin doesn't have that problem. It's not, it's not giving you yield, but it's giving you zero. And the uh, inflation rate of Bitcoin is extremely low. And if you start with 21 million as a supply, it's zero. If if you calculate it with the current supply of 19 million something, uh, it's extremely low inflation. And if you again calculate with the full supply, 21 million, there's zero inflation. So um, if you're getting two percent on your bond and a six percent or 9% or really 15% asset inflation environment, you're getting minus 13%, but your Bitcoin's getting zero and it's inflating zero or extremely little, again, if you discount it to the 19,000, 19 million supply or whatever's out there now. Okay, so that's that. Another thing is uh, you hear a lot of this in the space, but it's like they say crypto and they mean Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other shit coins. And I started to think crypto is just like, if someone says crypto, they don't know what they're talking about. 
It means that they're lumping two very different things together. And I think even the SEC is recognizing this. Gary Gensler, the SEC chairman, said in some comments that Bitcoin is a commodity property and uh, the rest of the uh, shit coins are basically securities. They're unregistered securities, which is SEC Securities and Exchange Commission are supposed to regulate. You cannot have a public company where you issue stock to the public without registering and going through regulatory hoops. Um, you cannot you know, basically take money publicly to the public with share issue shares and then take that money to try to uh, create a business and earn money and pay it out to your shareholders without registering. And that's a, essentially what the shit coins are. They're uh, centralized people. They're people who issue the coins. They're in charge of them, just like stock securities. And they're using the money to run a business and it's completely unlicensed. And so I think there may be some serious regulatory pain for some of those because they're basically just getting around the SEC's rules. Now, whether you think the SEC should exist or not is a separate point, but there's a very clear definition of whether something is a security or not. And Bitcoin is not centralized. There's nobody running Bitcoin business for you when you buy Bitcoin. It is just simply, you know, it's kind of like oil. You know, oil's in the ground. Oil can be put to productive use, but there's nobody who runs oil. There's Exxon that, that you know, uses oil and creates gasoline from it, but it doesn't, it's not oil per se that it runs. It uses the product. Oil itself is not owned by a single corporation. Gold itself is not owned by a single corporation. Rice or soybeans or wheat or corn are not owned by a single corporation. So those are not securities. Those are commodities. And Bitcoin is kind of like a commodity. So it's very different. And when you hear people say crypto, which is this catch-all trying to lump these things together, it's probably somebody who's either a scammer or just doesn't really understand. They're like, ah, oh, are you investing in crypto? It means they haven't looked into it. Crypto, as I tweeted out, is cringe. Crypto, you start saying crypto, it just, it's just like, okay, that's you, you don't know what you're talking about or you're trying to deceive people or you're talking to people who don't know anything and you're sort of trying to simplify it for them. But I, I really think people should specify Bitcoin or shit coins, or even if you don't want to be uh, pejorative, Bitcoin or other, other blockchain-based electronic currencies. I just think crypto, or you could just call it crypto, but leave Bitcoin out of it. I think if I think that's the thing. Crypto is not Bitcoin or Bitcoin, you could say is the only crypto. So I would say the other stuff is just unlicensed securities. Um, so that's what I would say about that. And it's kind of an attack vector. I think a lot of the Bitcoin maxis feel like it's not just like, okay, let them do what they want. They're stupid. You're going to lose money. It's basically getting people who would otherwise uh, be investing in the new monetary network, the most fair, equitable, uncorruptible, uncensorable peer-to-peer -peer network that's ever existed for money, instead of getting them to invest in that and to separate money and state to create prosperity and to um, get rid of corruption and war and all of the horrible uh, second order and third order effects and externalities from this fiat system that we have, you're getting people not only to get scammed and lose their life savings, but to muddy the waters, that there isn't this alternative system which stores your money uh, reliably and, and fairly. It confuses people. And so all these scams go down. It bring, I don't really care that it brings the price of Bitcoin down. That's good for the new people. They can stack cheaper. But it's more just that it muddies the waters and kind of pollutes the ecosystem. So you know, those people are not, it's not uh, benign. It's not neutral. It's negative. It's an attack in a way on the emergence of a, a new system that's much more uh, wholesome um, for everybody. All right. That's that. Oh, okay. A couple of, of course, I'm going to talk about COVID and totalitarianism because that's what I do. 
And there's a story in a, in a publication called Common Sense News. And, you know, I, I'd rather cite the New York Times, but the New York Times doesn't do journalism anymore. So I got to cite these um, smaller independent publications and you can vet them for yourself. But it was a story quoting, and you can do your, I mean, again, these are anonymous quotes. There's good reason to give anonymity for this because it's very damaging for the people saying it, but it's less reliable. But I, I saw the story and I'm just going to uh, pass it along and you can make of it what you what you want. But basically, it was a bunch of doctors, allegedly from the FDA and the C CDC and the NIH. And they were lamenting that they that these agencies are no longer governed by science, they're governed by politics, something that we probably know already. But they weren't even allowed to say the truth or speak out for fear of uh, repercussions, uh, professional repercussions. So a quote from AJK, a woman I follow who's a pretty good follow, uh, she quoted it and said, it's like a horror movie I'm being forced to watch and I can't close my eyes, said one senior FDA official, people are getting bad advice and we can't say anything. So two things, one is, you know, these politicized agencies, it's really kind of, it's very messed up that the CDC cares about who gets elected rather than what's best for public health. That's very bad. It's horrible. It's a scandal. It's a gigantic scandal. And of course, because the legacy media is all on the same team as the people trying to get elected and the CDC pushing for them, putting their thumb on the scale, that you're not going to get a, a story on this. But the thing that disturbed me, because we knew that, is these doctors are all like, oh, I can't say anything because I'll be destroyed if I say something. And it's like, this is specifically, you know, with, with regard to uh, authorizing uh, vaccinations, uh, let's just call them mRNA treatments for kids six months to two years old or six months to five years old, I guess. And there's just no evidence that it's beneficial. And in fact, any evidence cuts the other way that these kids are not at risk and that there are obviously side effects from this. And there's also unknown long-term side effects. We don't know. Nobody's had this for five years. We don't know what happens. So they're doing this without evidence, unscientifically, just for political reasons. And these doctors are like, you know, this is horrible. It's like a horror movie, he says, but we can't speak out. But you can speak out. Well, they did a little bit anonymously, but we don't know because it's anonymous. You know, this could be bullshit. How do we know the writer's not making this up? Anonymous sources are not reliable. Now, I know why they granted anonymity because, you know, you grant an anonymity to whistleblowers because it's dangerous for them. But the doctors themselves, it's like, dude, they're injecting children with experimental treatments that are not beneficial for them. And they're lying to parents who are terrified. They're terrifying these parents into doing this. And of course, it's on the parents. I mean, don't do this. I mean, fuck. Again, I, I think two things can be true, that it's on each person not to get scammed by crypto, not to inject your kid with experimental vaccines that they don't need. So it is on the individual. And at the same time, it's still wrong of the scammers to be selling you opaque products that may go to zero and you're risking your, your money on that. And it's still wrong for the CDC to be pushing this, even though it's on the parents to be skeptical. But I also feel like these doctors are seeing these kids get injected and they're not saying thing with their name on it. And, and one of the guys who uh, listens to this podcast, Andrew Matt, and he said, yeah, well, you could be sympathetic. I mean, look at Julian Assange. He's in a rotting in a prison cell for telling the truth. And, you know, what if they tell the truth they get? And, and this probably would happen. They would dig up everything about you. Oh, you posted this thing. You said this thing. You're a member of this group and they would demonize you. Yeah, maybe, you know, you don't know what they're going to do, but you're not going to get put in a prison cell just for speaking out about what you see as a doctor. You would be maybe ostracized, you fired. But I mean, come on, like it's, I know people who took, took the shot despite being relatively wealthy. They didn't want it. They just took it because they felt they had to for their job, but they had a couple of million dollars in the bank and they, yeah, it would be hard. They would have had to completely change their lives if they lost their income. 
with kids. But if not you, then who? I mean, you know, don't go along with this stuff. And I'm not talking about the people who actually genuinely at the time believed that it was good for them or that it was legit. I, that's fine. You were duped. Or if you still think it was good for you, fine. I mean, that's, you know, I don't agree, but, you know, maybe you have a pre-existing condition and maybe it helped. But I'm talking about people who did not want this medicine, who just did not want it and yet took it out of pressure. And I would have more sympathy for somebody who, like, they would, like, go homeless if they didn't do it, if they didn't comply. I still think you should never be forced to take medicine and you should stand on principle. But I think I'm, I'm more sympathetic to somebody who, you know, just couldn't afford to even live if they didn't take it. I'm much less sympathetic to people who did not want it, but felt it would hurt their career or, or, or stuff like that. It's like, look, it's just, it's not just you, right? Not only are you taking something you don't want, but you're making that compliance the standard. You're making, you're basically having it succeed. And, and a lot of people are like, yeah, well, I didn't give it to my kids at least. And, and I think like, yeah, but you're making a world in which it's much more likely your kids will have to take it one day. Everybody when forced to like, you know, you got to, lose your job or take this, which there are many people should have just said, I'm not taking this, go ahead and fire me and then file the lawsuit. Every single person should have done that. And courage is contagious. If you saw it all over the place, friends of yours doing that, filing a lawsuit, making them spend the cost, you know, certifying class actions, looking for lawyers to do this stuff. I mean, it would be over in two seconds, but people, they don't, they don't think as a Kantian, act only on that maxim you would will to be a universal law. Do what you think everybody should do in your shoes. Instead, they think utilitarian style. Well, if I lose my job, it's horrible for me. And if I protest this, I mean, it's going to just a drop in the bucket. So cost benefit, I'm going to go with easy way out. Everybody's going to interpret the utility to do the least scary thing for them, the least costly thing for them. It's such a fraudulent philosophy, utilitarianism. Whereas the right thing is like, no, I I don't want this medicine. I'm not going to take it. And I'm not going to be bullied into it. And people shouldn't be bullied. And I'm not going to perpetuate a system that does this for my friends and my family and other people. So I'm not going to do it. And in fact, if they fire me, I'm going to sue them because I have a legitimate cause of action. They've unjustly fired me for not having a compliant bloodstream, which is preposterous in the United States. So we all should be doing this. We all should be fighting not giving in because we're Kantians because we want to do what's right. We don't know the consequences. We don't know if we'll be fired, if we'll succeed, if we'll fail, what the cost will really be. We just know that doing the right thing, we have deep faith that doing the right thing is better for your spirit and your soul and your life long-term, period. If you know something's right and you know something's wrong, you do the right thing, you pay the cost. Now, again, I'm more sympathetic to people who would literally be homeless. Again, they don't know. Someone might come in and help them. They may get a GoFundMe, although GoFundMe is terrible. They may get some Bitcoins in their way. Who knows? But I am more sympathetic to people who are really living on the edge than people who have the money in the bank. They own a house. You know, it would be painful. It would be difficult. But it's totally doable without really threatening your, your well-being. And I just think people need to be a little tougher, a little harder. Maybe it's easy for me to say because I worked for an independent company. Nobody forced me. Maybe it's easier for me to say. It is easier for me to say. Fine. And I'll hold myself to the standard and I'll, if I don't make a hard choice when it's hard, then I'll deserve the same condemnation. And, you know, not, it's not judgment condemnation so much as disappointment. Like, dude, you have to do what you can do. I mean, otherwise, why are you on this planet? What are you even doing? Like, if you just capitulate and make things worse for everybody else, because it's going to be inconvenient. And again, there's different levels of inconvenience and whatever. Okay. And by the way, I said this on a, a previous one. Don't just lose your job and make a big stink. It's, it's, I'm talking about when they're trying to inject you with something that you don't want. I don't think people should go out and start lecturing other people on what they have to take and 
I, I think there's a difference between not enabling quietly and, and doing your own thing. I think that's fine. But I think when it comes to like, am I going to inject something that I really do not want in my system to stand up for yourself and for your fellow man and say, no, like that's, that's a line too far. It's fine to just be quiet. Again, I'm not advocating people to go in and yell at their boss or something. Just you have to draw a line somewhere. And I think that's a pretty easy line, uh, forcing something in your bloodstream. A couple other things, uh, JT Real Muto, a bunch of Phillies, Aaron Nola, a couple others, also a bunch of guys on the Royals did not make the trip to Canada because Canada requires you to be vaccinated if you're not Canadian, maybe even if you are Canadian. And so uh, I saw the comments on JT Real Muto. He said, I, I met with my doctor and we decided I didn't need it. Of course, he doesn't need it. He's in his 30s or late 20s and he's perfectly healthy. Uh, why would he, would he take an experimental vaccine that, you know, that has massive side effects? The comments are like, idiot, he lost 250000 in his salary, a real team guy, or, you know, it's like, dude, these people are such morons. They think that this baseball player should inject whatever they tell him to in his bloodstream to go because Canada says so. Now, I saw a legit comment, which was like, well, the U.S. is going to make the Canadians do that too. You know, Djokovic, uh, Wimbledon champion. By the way, no one's ever won Wimbledon after taking the mRNA vaccine. Never happened. So Djokovic, who won Wimbledon, and now they're, you know, saying you can't play in the U.S. Open, just like they banned him from Australia. It's suicide for tennis to take perhaps the best player of all time, going for the most wins of all time. And, you know, Nadal won Australia and Djokovic probably would have won it. So that would have been, you know, that would have made Djokovic the winningest of all time instead of Nadal right now. They're messing with history in tennis. They're destroying the sport. So hopefully the U.S. Open uh, comes to its senses. The U.S. comes to its senses. But they shouldn't give him a waiver. They should just be like, this is a fucking stupid policy. It's not like there's, it's not like the vaccine stops the spread. It's not like there's, you know, only COVID in Europe and not in the U.S. It's everywhere. Just drop it already. But, you know, the, the bureaucrats don't want to take the L. And if they take the L, if they admit everything that is wrong, then they're going to maybe even get prosecuted. So the stakes are very, very high for them to keep up appearances. And one of them is that Djokovic can't come in. And in Canada, the baseball players uh, can't come in and vice versa, that uh, if the Blue Jays weren't vaccinated, although a lot of those are American citizens, so they, they would be able to come in. But they probably wouldn't be able to play in, in Canada in the first place. So their Blue Jays are probably all vaccinated. But the point is, this stuff is just so stupid. And the comments on people think that, that, yeah, like just because you're a baseball player, you're going to inject whatever some country tells you to inject in order to do what you are supposed to do. I had comments when I was said I stand with DeAndre Hopkins when he intimated that, that he wasn't going to take the vaccine uh, and the NFL. They're like, he should be suspended. And it's just these morons are defending the NFL's policy as though like that's like supersedes basic uh, human rights, basic uh, civil rights, civil liberties of being able to take what medicines you want. I mean, it's just the uh, gymnastics uh, people are willing to do to uh, advocate or to, to push the Pfizer product is unbelievable. I mean, this is some pharmaceutical product that they've already made billions on and that, you know, your taxpayer money's paying for. And yet these people just can't be like, yeah, he doesn't want that in his bloodstream. So yeah, that's his choice. Like it's up to him. You know, I actually wrote about this and I'll, I'll probably post this in the, uh, in the comments and also uh, retweet this, but uh, it was called the man with the gun. And it was hypothetical that I put on Twitter that a man with a gun walks into a restaurant, points the gun on the waiter and says to one of the uh, guys eating at the restaurant, if you don't do 10 jumping jacks, I'm going to kill the waiter. The guy at the restaurant says, fuck off. And he kills the waiter. And everyone turns to the guy who said, fuck off. The guy just minding his business eating at the restaurant and says, you killed the waiter. It's kind of like this, right? It's not JT Real Muto's fault that he can't play. He's happy to play. He's happy to go to Toronto and play. It is the man with the gun who says you can't do it. And they're blaming JT Real Muto. 
And if the people who would blame JT Real Muto rather than the Canadian government or Pfizer or whoever the hell's you know pushing this policy are people that are saying a lot about their relationship with power. It's like the government, the the Pfizer lobby, the the people in charge are too powerful for you to go against, for you to say, you know what, that's fucked up. Just let him play baseball. So they go and they blame it on the guy who's just the but-for cause, the incidental cause that he's not playing. He's willing to go. Um, he's just not willing to do the jumping jacks. He's just not willing to go through the hoops that they want him to go through. And of course, the man with the gun's going to, if you do the jumping jacks, he's going to ask you to do push-ups or squats or leg lip raises or whatever. He's going to keep asking you to do stuff because you've shown him that you're willing to do what he's asking. But if everyone just says, fuck off, we're not going to do what you ask. There's no point. We'll do, we'll take the medicine if we want it. We think that the uh, mRNA vaccine from the original strain somehow still protects him on this variant of Omicron. If you still believe that, it's fine if you do. I don't believe it. But if it's fine if you do, then go ahead and take it because you're allowed to take, I'm not going to tell you what medicine to take. You take it. Go ahead. That's just that. Just absurd. A couple other things. I, I had some fun on Twitter with the troll. And this is, I, I wish I didn't screenshot this in time because I would have had a great tweet on this guy, but I didn't. I just, I just was too slow to the draw. I didn't realize, I didn't, I didn't see it ahead of time. So there's a tweet from a woman named Mary Catherine Ham, And she says, does the new variant change things? Here's what the people most likely to Lysol their mail in 2022 have to say about it. She's mocking them. People are commenting about the new variant and we got a mask up and all this stuff. And they're quote tweeting all these people. And she says, here's what the people most likely to Lysol their mail still have to say about it. And I quote tweeted that and I, and I quote you and I said, real man Lysol's the fuck out of his mail regardless, right? Real man doesn't care whether there's a pandemic. He likes to Lysol the shit out of his mail. So some guy for the Lysol joke that I made replies to the real man account and says, man, this account has turned into a full blown nutbag conspiracy theory spreading hate machine too. LOL. And then he replied again and he said, he said something like, watch this snowflake block me. LOL. So I quote tweeted him. And I said, real troll, A plus satire of the type that would be triggered by the Lysol tweet. I mean, imagine going all in on, on me like he did because of that ridiculous light, the real man Lysol's the fuck out of his mail regardless. And so, okay, I quote tweet it and a couple of people like the tweet and then he deletes both tweets, just deletes them both. And this is a guy who came at me. I'm not follow this guy, I didn't comment to him. And then came at me again by saying, this, watch this snowflake block me. And instead, I just made fun of his tweet. He said, real troll, A plus satire. And he deletes the tweets. So I wish if I just screenshotted that snowflake, I screenshotted the first one, but I didn't screenshot the, uh, the snowflake tweet. It would have been the tweet and with him saying, look at this nutbag, whatever. And then the next one would be like, watch the snowflake block me. And then it would, the next one would be showing him having deleted his tweets. That would have been great. But I was too slow on the draw, so I just got to describe it. Not as funny on the radio, but it is, it's just like this. Who's the snowflake now? Deleted your tweet just because I made fun of it. You came at me. All I did was quote you, and you deleted your tweet. So these guys who have flexed their muscles and think that they're going to just come after you, they are super soft. Amazing. Okay, one other thing. Elon Musk's Twitter deal seems to be off for now, and Twitter's suing him. And it may be his strategy to just get Twitter in court and have them have to disclose how many bots they have. But I was thinking about this and there, I think it's more than half, uh, you know, they said 5% and maybe it's 15%, but I think it's gotta be like 70%. And I know that sounds crazy, but think about this and it may not just be bots. It may be some real accounts that are put to use. 
Uh, and I guess it depends on how you define a bot. I guess those are bots. But think about this. I have like 17,000-ish followers. And, you know, for me, that's a lot. And like people, my friends and family, like, wow, that's a lot of followers. But there's people even in my industry with like 500,000 followers or more. And then there's people like with, you know, obviously Elon Musk is 100 million, but there's people with 2 million followers, 800,000, whatever, big following. And, you know, if you're going to hire somebody for a media gig, let's say I didn't know anybody in, in the industry and I was like, hey, I, I want to get an XM show or something. And I wrote to them. I think one of the first things they would do is look at my follower count. They'd be like, yeah, you only have 17,000 followers. You're not going to really bring a lot of people to your show, right? You're not going to be able to promote this that well. So, okay, maybe, but probably not. But if I had a million followers, then they'd be like, wow, this guy could probably bring some subscribers over. I mean, it's just natural. It's a number. It's easy to, it's an easy metric to look at. And I think that that's what goes on for media gigs of all kinds. The follower count is just such a quick and dirty way to assess somebody's reach. I mean, you know, I, I do it. I mean, when people reply to me or retweet me, I'll look at their follower account and I'll be like, oh, this is okay. This is going to get a lot of attention because this guy has 400,000 followers and he just retweeted me. The incentives are just massive to have a big follower account. The, the, to cheat on the follower account is massive. Like I'm just a nutless monkey, so I haven't cheated on it yet. But, you know, buying followers and getting up to a big number would just be huge for your reach and your and your career. Even if it's fake reach, you know, people, other people seeing it, even people you interact with on Twitter will see that you're a 400,000 follower account and they'll be more likely to reply, interact with you, retweet you, all this stuff. And, you know, it's the Charlie Munger, show me the incentives and I'll show you the results. And so there's a huge incentive to cheat and it's not even illegal. I mean, think about like, I think it was like Wolf Blitzer. I haven't looked at his account in a while. The Nutless Monkey follows him. He has like millions of followers. And when he tweets on something, he gets like five likes. It's just not possible. You know, CNN and, and these media organizations, they have to boost their follower numbers of their stars to make them seem more legit. They have to. I don't know if ESPN does it. I don't know if... Other places do it, but there's a huge incentive to cheat. And when there's incentive, there's cheating without repercussion. So I think a lot of these politicians are cheating. We knew that there were lots of Twitter bots in the Democratic primary, the uh, David Brock, whatever that uh, Media Matters organization. I think they had tons of bots and people going after you if you, if you said something that, that was outside the accepted narrative. So I, I think there's a lot of it. I think Pfizer, I mean, why wouldn't they have tons of bots going after people who you know, criticize the product or dubious or skeptical or, or anything. So we'll see what happens in court. A lot of times things get settled. Maybe they'll just simply drop the lawsuit against Musk and pay his legal fees rather than disclose. But I think this is a really important thing. I think there's a lot, a lot of fake, a lot of, a lot of fake. I think Twitter's great. And I, I learned so much from the people I follow and the people who comment on my posts. And there's a lot of real interaction. And, and what's funny is like all the trolls that used to relentlessly, the Pfizer volunteer sales reps just disappeared. I mean, I, there's just so few of them left. Every now and then one shows up. Nobody really wants to step and get into it anymore. It's just such a losing argument. All right, there's that. And then the last thing I want to say, I, I saw something the last couple of days and I sent it to Heather and she's like, is this even real? Because it was just some one account and she looked for it and couldn't find it. But it was that Emmanuel Macron, the, the president of France, wanted to extend vaccine passport to get into France. And he was defeated in the parliament by a coalition of Marine Le Pen, the right winger, and just Jean-Luc Mélenchon, I think the left wing guy. There was a coalition between the anti-establishment left and anti-establishment right, and they defeated this. And I saw it tweeted by Martin Kuladorf, a guy I follow, a Harvard professor who's 
one of the few doctors to actually speak out and risk professional repercussions, which he suffered, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And now I'm finding it in a couple more places, but no legacy media is even reporting on it. Don't you think this is a big story that France wanted to have uh, vaccine passports extended and it was voted down? So, you know, we look at censorship and we think, oh, they're, they're deplatforming people from Twitter. Or we look at fake news and we, you know, they, they make up stats about the unva- pandemic of the unvaccinated or cook the books with, you know, who counts as vaccinated. And that is fake news and it is misinformation. But I think a lot of the misinformation, the biggest source is what they choose to cover. It's, it's con- contextualizing, editing the reality to just fit the narrative that they want. So imagine if you were comparing two running backs and one of them was, let's say, Javante Williams. And the other one was Saquon Barkley, my favorite guy. And they were saying, you know, okay, Saquon Barkley has been injured the last couple of years. His team has been really bad offensively. He was drafted in 2018, so he's got a little wear and tear on him. Whereas Javante Williams in the second year, uh, he's on a much better team with Russell Wilson. He's, he's young, he's talented. He had a much better year than Saquon did last year. And that was it. That was how you left off. But you didn't note that Javante Williams has Melvin Gordon on his team splitting carries. You just didn't even note that fact. You wouldn't be lying about Javante Williams. The things you said about Javante Williams would be true. And same with Saquon. But if you didn't say that Saquon is basically the only game in town and Javante Williams is splitting carries 50-50, that would be a huge omission. And it would be a very big distortion of the case for and against these guys. You may like Javante better than Saquon. I don't, but that's fine. But you should like him better or worse with the full picture. So this is what the, the legacy media does a lot. It's not that they make up things that are it's not that they only make up things that are false, and they do. They cook the books all the time. They change definitions to be you know, theoretically true. The mRNA shot is a vaccine by the new ve- definition of the vaccine. Yes, it is. By the old definition, I don't think it would pass muster. Um, they change the definition. They do a lot of uh, dirty tricks. But then the biggest one is what they're reporting on and what they aren't. You don't see the vaccine passport getting shouted down. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will show me a legacy media outlet that actually covers this. But it's not so much just the lies, it's also the omissions. And I think that's just a huge, huge thing to think of. And when I send stuff to Heather sometimes, she's like, I, I don't, you know, where's that? What that's not a real good source. And I, and I try to tell her there is no good source anymore because the things that go against the narrative are just simply not covered by the quote good sources, the sources that we know. And I still think it's valuable if it shows up in the Washington Post or New York Times, because that means it's like reporting on something against interest. It's like they have to report it because if they don't, it's such a big story. It just, you know, it just makes them even, they, they sort of are grudgingly reporting this stuff. And it's a statement against interest, which in court is, you know, a hearsay exception. I mean, things like reporting things that clearly harm your own side are more reliable than reporting things that are favorable to your side. It, it's more reliable when you report things adverse to your own side. So I just thought I would note that. All right, that's it. I got a few more ideas. But again, realmansports.substack.com. You can check out the free version. There'll be some stuff. And if you like it, you can pay. Again, it's not going to be completely, it's not going to be comprehensive like Rotowire. Go to Rotowire for comprehensive coverage of the NFL and fantasy. I'm just going to share my thoughts, Super Contest, Circus Survivor, a couple other things. And uh, check out chrislist.com. I feel like a lot of the stuff there still applies, and I'm going to write new stuff. I guess that's it. Till next time.